This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a special Media Week podcast. We're going to be looking at Picnic at Hanging Rock today. Joining me for this discussion is Andrew Mercado, Media Week contributor and regional uh, movie mogul. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, James. And our special guest today, Joe Porter, Director of Drama, Fremantle Media Australia. Back to a uh, Media Week podcast. It's been a while, Joe. Welcome back. Thank you, James. Nice to be here. Now, um, it's been only a few days since Picnic at Hanging Rock was released. The first episode screened on Showcase uh, Sunday night. They just showed one, didn't they? They didn't do back-to-back. And then, but then they released all episodes for On Demand, yeah? Mm. So it was a first-time strategy for Foxtel to sort of enable viewers to both consume in a linear fashion across the six weeks, but then have that ability to binge if they want to. Yeah, yep. The and it's part of you know we, we might talk about this briefly a little bit later with Andrew too. The um, it's a move at Foxtel now. They're really realizing, or they realize the power of of giving people the choice to, to watch everything when they can. And I guess when they're calling themselves a streaming company now as as well as a, a pay TV provider. So you expect this to sort of continue? I think so. Look, I think you know the the move has happened. Audiences expect to be able to consume content when and how they want. And that's the new normal now. And so I think they're smart to be following where, what audiences want in that regard. Yeah. And I should say, head of drama, of course, you're executive producer as well on uh, Picnic at yeah. Hanging Rock. Um, now, Andrew, you took advantage of um, all episodes being available, correct? Yeah. Although I've got to give a shout out to Foxtel as well, because they've also been They've also brought the binging model into media preview sites too as well. So, you know, once upon a time they would maybe send you one or two episodes, but I've noticed now they're they're sending the entire series to you and saying, hey, if you as a TV writer want to watch the whole thing because you think it's fantastic. And, of course, if the show's great and you've got the time to do it and you're going to watch the whole thing, I think that really helps shape the review that you're going going to give. So good on Foxtel for making binging available to critics and to the audience. I think Joe's right. The audience is demanding it. And I think, Joe, you've made the perfect drama for them to introduce this model because I think that Picnic at Hanging Rock works better binging it than watching week by week. Once, you know, I watched those first two episodes as a preview um, and then I sat there and watched episodes three, four, five, six, boom, in one sitting. I did not want to wait week by week. I wanted to see it all straight away. Well, I love hearing that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, 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 it the show does have a natural momentum that, you know, does hopefully end on hooks that want you to come back and find out more. So that's great to hear. Yeah. Now, I've only still seen the first episode, which I saw at a preview screening where you were there and in the shadow of uh, The Real Hanging Rock, which was was uh, pretty amazing. So uh, I I won't give too many spoilers away about what we think, but uh, Andrew, you and I both loved the first episode. We might talk about the rest of the series a little bit later, but but you, you really enjoyed part one? I did. I, I look part one and, and part two is I'll be honest, there's there's some disconcerting moments there because the original film is so strong in your memory. You have to really kind of re 
reconfigurate the fact that this is a new version. And, and so much of it is the same. The school, Appleyard College, looks the same. The Rock looks the same, although now with the added advantage of helicopter shots and drones and all of that to give a much better sense of where it sits in the country. And I love it, Joe, that you can still take shots of Hanging Rock to this day and see nothing but green fields going off into the horizon. There's no, you know, six-star motel in the distance or anything like that in the passing of years. You you get this real sense now that the, that the rock is sort of this kind of monolith that's sort of jutting up out of the landscape. But you must have been thrilled to be able to do those aerial shots with it. Absolutely. I think, you know, key, one of the real themes that's explored in the novel and that we've, you know, explored in the adaptation for television is the idea of an individual in the landscape and how dwarfed you feel. In fact, one of the bigger questions is this notion of control, you know, for Appleyard College inexplicably uh, built in the middle of the Australian bush, control over that that landscape there. Uh, Mrs Appleyard, the headmistress of the school, trying to control these young girls. And so it control and then seeing those women out in the landscape and then ultimately, as you've seen episode six, the futility of... Um, control you just the individual or, or nature actually nature whether it's nature of the individual or, or nature itself the environment um, ultimately triumphs joe just just give us a little background on um the the development the idea um selling it to, to foxtel and sort of some of the challenges that you faced along the way of making it look i think Going back to what Andrew just said earlier, and I think one of the conceptions that we've had to overcome on this is everybody knows the film so well. But we didn't want to remake the film. Why would you? It stands on its own and it exists as a beautiful adaptation of the the book. But when you actually go back and read the book, you'll realise that the film only only explores a very sort of small slither of what was available in the novel. And so in going back with the writers, B. Christian and Alice Addison, we realised that sitting in Joan's novel, well, both that it was a very contemporary novel in the way that she is was so interested herself with notions of time, which, you know, in a contemporary uh, storytelling of non-linear narrative techniques, it's sort of, it, it's very much how we we generally approach storytelling now. So, and then, but that also bed, embedded within that novel were these sort of tantalising clues that the that the writers could keep going back to and tease open to sort of explore uh, and open out these characters and sort of really ask the question of why they were there at this time and and what they were doing there. But coming back to your question, so for us, we, we needed to know for ourselves that we felt that there was enough material in there to adapt. Then it was really making a pitch to the estate because you can imagine such an important book like this, they rightly hold on to the... Um, Writes very tightly, and and so when we pitched it to a woman called Barbara Mobbs, who looks after Joan Lindsay's estate as her agent, she was really keen to hear how we were going to tackle it, and she really loved because there were certain key things for her, in particular, the need to keep it period that was for her fundamental to any re-examination of the novel, and that sat also in how we wanted to tackle it. Was that always? There was never any thought that oh, what if we said it? Not for know? us. We felt that it was that there was something very specific about why it was set in that time, not least that it was at the, just before Australian Federation, so Australian identity was so much a part of 
everybody's consciousness at the time. And also it sort of fell just before uh, or women were getting the vote in Australia. And so, again, about sort of that notions of female emancipation that was sort of would have been part of the broader conversation of, of um, people living in those days. So we thought that was really quite interesting. And also, you know, in this incredibly connected world that we live in, the ability to sort of totally vanish becomes increasingly hard. Uh, and I think, you know, equally coming back to even, Andrew, what you're saying about drone shots, I think in those days, you know, there wasn't planes. So the idea of being dwarfed by nature would have felt even greater because you mm, never would have mm. been able to sort of literally zoom out yourself and have a perspective on land. How you, you wouldn't have had a sense of how far something went. You could it was literally only what the eye could see. So I think that I think that, that sits somewhere in the sort of the chill of the unknown that those people and particularly those young women were experiencing at that time. Anyway. Can I say that, well, yep. you probably aren't aware of this, Joe, but a Foxtel executive said to me not long after the launch of Wentworth, which of course you did as well, and he, we were having conversation about, oh, gee, what is there anything else that you'd want to redo? And this person said to me, well, I don't know, I think what's lacking from the Australian TV landscape is something with a supernatural theme. And he actually mentioned Picnic at Hanging Rock, but he was contemporising it yep. and saying maybe there was, there could be a contemporary series yep. you could do around Hanging Rock that hung off that series. And that was several years ago. But I, I think that, I think going back to the source material has been the right decision to make because, of course, Foxton went off and made the Kettering incident and got that show they wanted um, down in Tasmania mm-hmm. and left Victoria for you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, sort of, yeah, so rounding so you- out your point earlier too, James, it, it it's um, it, it then so we knew we had six six hours, and uh, we believed that were very strong and, and compelling, and then we went away and off our own bat commissioned the first episode to be written okay. because we want we believed in the project so much, and then you know we were absolutely delighted that the minute Foxtel read that they were just really keen to come on board, and it. Okay. it, it, it those scripts and just the project itself, it has been such a a magnet of drawing talent to it, which has been uh, quite wonderful. Just without giving any um, Fremantle media trade secrets away, do you? What sort of materials do you need when you pitch a show? I mean, I guess different projects, are different things, but do you sort of work up any artwork or any imagery, or is it absolutely. just a written? Um... No, absolutely. It was. Well, we did two things. We went in the first time and just we explored the idea with them and we got great engagement to the idea. Andrew, coming back to your point, you know, that that that's great to hear because I think that there was an awareness of obviously of the novel that there was potentially more to explore. But then we we wanted to go away and prove to them it ourselves. And so, yes, in the, in the, the Bible... Uh, we spent quite a bit of time thinking about imagery because for us it was important that this re-adaptation of the novel felt not st- stuffy as a period piece but actually very alive and making these young women, as it would have been at the time, you know, I can remember talking to my grandmother and her telling me stories of herself as a young woman. And, you know, yes, there was the, the social mores of the time but that sort of voice inside of her as a young girl is the same voice that, I have or had and and I know other young women have as well there's that so 
that doesn't go away. And so I think those themes, let's bring these women alive and men and um, make them visceral, make them feel contemporary characters, but the, but they were just existing in that day. Do you um, have any ideas of casting that early on or is that something you don't? Uh, no, we knew that we... So then, of course, well, the ambition was and our... The head office for Fremantle were extremely excited about this project the minute we told them this was on our slate because they saw it having such total universal appeal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and, and so what was great about that was that the, then, then it became a conversation around shared ambition and to an ambition to really be big, big, bold and, and give it the scale that the story needed to tell. And so that's a conversation that sits around financing and that enables you to have that creativity, creative freedom to do what you want to, to bring it to the screen. And key to that was uh, absolutely, you know, an A-list, uh, some marquee casting sitting in there. And that was important to Foxtel too. Yeah. Um, Andrew, how important do you think it is for um, projects like this to have sort of recognisable stars, you know, that, that um, both for viewing here and, and internationally, I guess? Well, in in some ways, this pro, this uh, show, Picnic at Hanging Rock, it is so well known around the world. You almost don't need the big stars with it because the star is Picnic at Hanging Rock. Mm. So, in some ways, I guess Joe, that gave you some freedom to bring in some new talent here because you didn't need to hang a, a marquee name on this to get your international sales, and you've had incredible international sales already. Some of the best. I've heard in recent years yeah. and that's because uh, the Americans know, have heard of Picnic at Hanging Rock it was a big hit over there it is seen as being at the forefront of the new wave of Australian cinema the Europeans knew it um, I'm not aware of how the film did in UK cinemas but clearly the Brits um, are aware of the film as well if the BBC have bought it so really the star of it before you'd even cast anybody I think, was Picnic at Hanging Rock, that title. I agree with you. But I would say that in terms of getting big, level, high-level investment and, you know, Amazon came on as co-producing partners, for them, knowing their American audience, having um, someone that they, they knew they could anchor on, like Natalie Dormer, was actually incredibly important. It was really interesting in both... Uh, Germany, when I went to the Berlin Film Festival and, and then recently in New York, she has a huge following, you know, from Game of Thrones and some of, of her other work. And so that was just, it's just another angle that they can leverage off in terms of marketing the show to their audience. And uh, so it, it, it was really important. I think maybe they would have, maybe sales would have come later after we delivered tape, but all of our sales well, all our big sales happened before we'd finished because okay. of the strength of the scripts and then the strength of some of the, the other creatives around it, uh, Natalie and, our, um, and, and Larissa as our set-up director. So does that mean that you were looking to a, attach a name? Did you target the role of uh, the principal or were you thinking Mrs. maybe Apple, yeah. Mrs. Apple, or were you thinking maybe that you had to get the attach the big name to the role of Miranda, which of course is so well known. Both those characters are sort of the best known characters in yeah. it. Would that be right to say? Uh, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It, 
It was always Appleyard, I think. Was it? Wow. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Because yeah. we knew for us we wanted to, and this is something, you know, Foxtel really have supported always, is that there was, you know, because of the age of the girls, it was unlikely that you would get a marquee name in someone that was sitting in that mm, sort of early mm. 20s space for the for the young girls and, and the young yeah. boys. So it, it became Appleyard that you needed to, and, and, you know, she, I think, really does carry the piece too. She does. Oh, yeah. for sure. No yeah. two ways about it. So tell me, Joe, when you, you're pitching for a, for a big star, what sort of time frame have you got to wrap up that you, you can present to them, say, look, we're going to need you for two months, three months, four months? Mm-hmm. What's the general, is there a sort of accepted thing like uh, to make it doable and attractive for them, I guess? Because she's pretty busy, I'm guessing. Exactly. So, look, they needed to have a clear, it, it, it was... A sort of window, I guess. Yeah, they, they they definitely want a window and a hard out because she had other commitments to go to. So mm-hmm. there's there's that as a practical. But more importantly, I think for someone like Natalie was under, knowing that who were the creatives behind it and knowing that she was going to be looked after okay. and that, you know, reputationally this was going to take be a good thing for her. And mm. so long conversations with Larissa, big pitch there. She had, you know, loved the script. So that was the first, that was the first key. Then it was really hearing how Larissa was proposing to tackle it. That was the real clincher for her because it's a big commitment for someone to leave home for, I think it was nearly three and a half, four months. And, um, and, you know, it was a physically demanding shoot. It wasn't shot in the city. It was all out on location and some in the city. And uh, so she needed to know that this was going to be, frankly, worth it for her. Mm. Well, no, you, you've done very well. And just tell me the the different partners. I guess there's quite a bit of signing off you need to do mm-hmm. on, a, on a cast. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you do all the preliminary work and maybe give some options and stuff like that? And as you know, do all the sort of investors get some sort of say? For that key role, they did. Yeah. Right, okay. Because that was going to be how they were going to hang the... the they knew that that was going to be important to um, carve out sales. Uh, obviously, Fox will have signed off on everything lo- locally, and um, uh, and we were fa- a fair way down the path when a- a- Amazon came on. And but again, as I say, knowing that we had Natalie was really keen to them too. Okay, key to them too. Okay. And one other thing, I'm wondering, Andrew, Joe, does it cost? Is it more expensive shooting? Period. And and much so, I mean, much more. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, I, I can't put a, a number to it, but it's or a percentage to it, but absolutely it is. I mean, you have to build everything. There's some mm. stock, but um, there's some antiques, but, you know, all of all of the hero costuming was literally made from scratch. It was quite marvellous to see Edie Kurzer, our incredible costume designer, and her team literally I, I have... You know, there was a, a workshop where they were hand smocking and hand making some of these costumes. There were some beautiful examples of pieces of fabric or lace that each some of them had kept in their own personal collections. That aha, here was the chance to sort of add it to this some of the gorgeous hmm. um, gowns that the girls were wearing. Um, so it was all you couldn't, yeah, you, know, you can't just go down to the local shop and buy it. It literally has to be made um, or sourced. A lot from overseas. Edie, Edie went overseas to find it from um, uh, costume. I'll use the word library. I can't think of a better word. Uh, where they, <laughs> the, 
wardrobes where they would would, would rent costumes, okay. and then we we built it on top. And then then there's you know horses, all those millions of moving parts, and then ultimately there's the visual effects part of it of erasing any sort of anachronistic uh, contemporary element that sits in a frame that you just you know you can't pull down telegraph poles, but you can digitally remove them. Right. So that's an added cost too. Yeah. What about the location for the college and also the location uh, for the house that Irma is taken to? Mm-hmm. Um, the every shot in that house and every shot in the estate doubling for the college was just beautiful, like going back into the detail, the mm. the statues, the furniture, the drapes, every shot looked Amazing! Oh, that's so lovely to hear. <laughs> and and you know, I agree. I think that the co- our art department, design led by Joe Ford, did an incredible job. We had great bones in that we were lucky enough to use um, actual, you know, uh, historic homes that exist in Victoria. But then they went in and then dressed them, and they were absolutely fastidious about keeping to period and. Um, so it just it also just gives great scale and I th- uh, uh, it, to the piece and um, the size of the rooms the the yeah so, absolutely yeah. Mm. it's in- in- incredible really well done and the colour I think is just so beautiful well that's what I wanted to to ask you Andrew I mean, I've, I've only seen the first episode but gee whiz the colours of the Australian mm. bush in that um, that first episode are just stunning tell us about that Joe how how much of that is sort of Curated by the director of photography, is there any sort of post-production work where you can tweak that a little bit? Yeah, exactly. So, very, very much as part of the pre-production, there was a lot of conversations with with Gary, our Gary Phillips, our our incredible DP, and Larissa. You know, together working with, they came up with a lookbook about that sort of covered everything from framing. You know, using a lot of really strong center center cut um, imagery using those big, wide, anamorphic, anamorphic lenses and, uh, and then the colour palette and the richness of the tone. And that's all there. It's all natural, but it does have a heightened magical quality to it because, you know, there's, I think in the spell that's created with this, it, there's a, you know, I can't claim it my own, it was Larissa's, but this notion of an enchanted chiller. And I love that. And I think that is that in- sense of enchantment is both, I think, what the, those women and those individuals in that, in, in that world have projected on the landscape, but it's also, and it's the feeling that they feel within that landscape. That said, you know, some people have said to me, oh, it's very green, but <laughs> Victoria was, had had unprecedented rainfall at that time. So we were shooting in February, hmm. you know, right when this piece is set. Uh, but it just happened to be this particular year. It was. Um, it wasn't dusty. It was. It was a lushness, and uh, yeah. I like that it ended up lush, you know, because mm. if, you, if there's one thing that you would say about the Peter Weir original film is that it had that sort of shot through cheesecloth quality mm. to it, a little bit like you know. David Hamilton doing mm. Billitus. It was all kind of uh, <laughs> that stuff was kind of toned down a bit. So it was the contemporary version needed to have a completely different color palette to it. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. The um, any 
Any challenges? Did you go over time at all much or did you manage to sort of follow schedule? What about the weather, you know, any... Look, we were blessed with weather. We really were. You know, we had um, right in the centre of the, the shoot, there was a week where we shot all six episodes out at The Rock, all the various elements. So we had the whole team, we had three units shooting at The Rock. And, oh, my God, if we'd been unlucky with rain that week, we would have been, you know, really stuck. So Uh, when you say three units, were you shooting different scenes at the same time? Yeah, exactly. Just to sort of get – because it's quite an undertaking to get onto the rock. It's Mm -hmm. sort of – it's you know, it's a a hike up. And so it was – It's a sort of tourist attraction too. Yeah, it is. Do they have to close some of it? They didn't close it because it's a – it is a – National park. Yeah. Yeah. But we were able to have – you know, they, Special way. Yeah. Although it was yeah. pretty hilarious, some people visiting the rock on that particular day and girls <laughs> in white dresses screaming, running out of the bush, <laughs> which I, I must say, I did take particular delight in. But, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it was really the, the matrix of the shoot was very complicated. There was um, cast availability, but there was also location availability. Um, Winchester was shooting in Melbourne at that time too, and they were using a lot of those same locations. So we sort of had to piggyback around was each that other. Was Dame Helen, was she in Winchester? Yes, yeah, she was. Yeah. Dame Helen Merrin. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and so that did sort of lock us in. I think, look, we did, the, I think the ambition, once we knew what we had, I think our ambition. Uh, was probably greater than the original schedule. And so we did have to grow, definitely. But I think that was because we knew we needed to and we wanted to. And we ha- you know, we had Amazon on board at that time and there was an ambition that we, we needed to deliver at that scale. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, Andrew, now let, let's raise a, a, a little... Let's talk about the, the, the episodes. I mean, we've both seen episode one. Give me yeah. your thoughts on the rest of the series without many, you know... Without giving away too many spoilers, because there's probably a lot of people who haven't got that that far into it yet. Yeah, I, do, I don't want to do spoilers, even though the story is is very well known. But yeah. I will say this: uh, there's something about episode three that really stood out for me. Mm. You know, I guess I watched one and two together, um, but when I sat down to watch episode three, it sort of almost exploded into my consciousness. And episode three really felt like it ramped up the um, bizarre elements of the story. And episode three is what made me go, well, I just have to sit up all night now and watch this to the end. (laughs) Oh, I love hearing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it, it, it's so v- visually rich. It's sort of, it's just literally golden. Like it opens with this sort of twirling image of Irma back at the rock on the day of the picnic. And there's literally gold dust going in front of the frame. And it's um, some of the most beautiful images I think I've seen and seeing her, yeah. yeah. Oh, I love hearing that. I've, I've written that down, exploded into my consciousness. <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. There, there's also this thing too. This, this, um, because you have to really get your head around the fact 
that the character of Miranda is very different as being portrayed by Lily Sullivan. You know, the, the decision by you to make that character a tomboy is so 180 degrees away from Anne Lambert as Miranda in the original film. Mm. And then you've also sort of got to think to get away from the fact that every now and then you see Samara Weaving playing Irma and think, oh, she actually looks like Miranda used to back then. But I'll say this about Samara Weaving. She makes that character her own and eventually you stop making that comparison because she is incredible Mm. in this. I know Lily Sullivan's getting a lot of uh, talk and people are talking about her, but wow, this is... uh, this is going to be a, a great thing for Samara Weaving's yeah. career. She does an incredible job. She does, doesn't she? She's quite captivating. I think, look, just to go back to your point on Miranda, I would just say that actually if you look at the book, which obviously we have, Miranda was a girl from country Queensland who grew up on horses. Yeah. In the novel, they have her jump down off the drag and open the gate to let the horses through. Mm-hmm. So in truth, I think she was as conceived by Joan, a much more earthed girl. And I think she was a girl earthed and of the world. So I think it was perhaps maybe more dramatic license taken in the film of where they pushed her than actually the novel would suggest. Uh, so yeah, I'd just say that. But look, I, if you I, have I, a, yeah. if I you mean, have Anne, Anne Lambert in the film, you're going to shoot her in that way, aren't oh, you? I mean, she she's was breathtaking. She was angelic back then, yeah. in 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 her prime. And I completely understand why Peter Weir went in that direction. But yeah, I think you're right. Go back to the novel and see what's there. Mm. What's interesting, though, Joe, is that there is this. Were you tempted at all to take that the second part of Picnic at Hanging Rock, which was uh, printed as a separate novel twenty years after the film came out? They released, you know, the the, the, the long lost chapter, the end, and uh, it came out as this kind of very thin book that you know I knew I had somewhere in my collection. It took me months to find it after you said to me you're going to have to go back and find the original book and I went, yeah, but where's the original ending? How tempted were you to incorporate that or just l- leave it out of the picture? Honestly, not very. Um, because I think there was a reason why the editor of the novel d- got Joan to drop it and I think it was the right decision to drop it. I think it, it I think it's much better to allow the power of the audience, be it of the novel or, or of the screened version, to sort of take, I think it was too literal, the, that final chapter. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Despite involving lizards and sliding, <laughs> oh, you know, time yeah. travels. I, I reread the last chapter recently and just, and, and I agree with you. <laughs> Could I ask you about uh, Samara Weaving? Because um, probably when you cast her for this, she wasn't quite as hot as she is now. Mm. Because in the interim, she had that, that fantastic TV series Andrew and I have talked about. Oh, a bit Smilf. Smilf. Oh, it's so funny, how isn't How good it? is that? Yeah. That is just yeah. hilarious. And then um, Three Billboards. Mm. You so know? She, and, guess, and guess what? I didn't recognise her in Three Billboards. Oh. I was playing that film in the cinema twice a day, <laughs> watching the film, constantly walking through the cinema, stopping and going, oh, yeah. <laughs> Never picked that it was her until I read it. And then I was like, what? She's in that movie? And I had to go back and watch it and go, wow, because she had disappeared into that character so much, the girl from Home and Away was gone. Yeah, exactly. It's so exciting to see someone who's um, 
career is just totally cresting at this point. Mm. And, you know, we were really lucky um, that we were able to get her at that point in her career. She'd, I think she'd shot three billboards but was going back to America to shoot Smilf. Um, I think that came in while she was shooting um, Hanging Rock. And, um, it, yeah, it's so – I mean, I'm so excited, I think, for all of the girls and the boys in this, what this is – in that sort of the younger generation of what this is going to mean for their career. And, you know, after this, Lily went on to do um, uh, Romper, Stomper – and 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 um, Maddie's having such a moment with all of her great content coming out too, and I think they they really are all stars of the, their generation in the making, and it's it's been nice because I think for this role, this the the roles that they've got to play on Picnic have uh, enabled them to stretch and grow. In you know they're not playing the girlfriend; they're playing these these interesting young women who all are wanting to take control of their destiny. So it's giving them a great room to stretch and grow as actors and in, as they play these roles. Can I ask you about Lola Bassis, is it, yes. who plays yep. Mademoiselle? Mm-hmm. Uh, wow, amazing. Like she's t- she takes you through to the end of that series. Mm-hmm. You know, as some of the other characters start dropping out, she just really keeps you involved. Where has she come from? She's incredible. Yeah, she's something, isn't she? She's... Uh, I think it really also helps having a French native play that role too. Yep. Um, there is just something incredibly French about her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And uh, so delightful. Yeah, so delightful. Uh, she had done some some television and film in France. She did a start and I think directed or maybe it was wrote a uh, a film herself. And so and it's just a very interesting young woman who. When she heard about uh, Picnic at Hang Rock, got her agent to contact us. So she was just... Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Does that happen much? It happened a lot. We were... Really? Uh, it was unprecedented. I think that, you know, as both of you have said earlier, it's the the idea of Hanging Rock is so in, in not just Australians' consciousness, but internationally too, particularly... Someone like Lola, who's a bit of a cinephile, you know. Because you possibly herself. wouldn't have come across her, would that be? Pardon me. You mightn't have come across her. We did probably. ask French. We did our uh, Nikki Barrett, who did our casting, did contact French agents uh-huh. looking for someone to play that role, as okay. well as Australians. And um, and let's not forget, it was the French who bestowed the gr- the great honour. They did. They feel like they discovered Picnic at Hanging Rock at Cannes. Um, didn't know and that. Yeah, I mean, the Picnic and Hangar went over to the Cannes Film Festival and became this huge thing. So I bet you that movie was a huge box office hit in France and and French people know it well. I guarantee that. Yeah, that's interesting. I I didn't know that bit of history. I mean, Canal Plus, who's, you know, one of the the, the premier broadcasters over there have taken it for France. And um, so that was, you know, in advance of... They'd only seen a trailer, so I think there there must have been that that level of consciousness of the the program there. Mm. I also want to give a shout out to Yale Stone mm. for uh, this is absolutely the most brilliant thing she's ever done. Do you know that I will even sit here and say to you that I never really thought much of her as an actress before this. Shame when on she, you, Andrew oh, Mikado. Shame on I, you. I didn't see it when <laughs> she did that. Um, but James, what was the SBS one about the gay men being thrown off the cliff? Deep, deep, water. deep water. Deep water. I actually wasn't impressed 
by her performance in that. I just went, oh, you know, really pedestrian. And then she brings out this incredible character and and has given such life to a, a character that barely existed in the film. I, I, I admit I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, you were wrong. Yeah, I was amazing. <laughs> but you've raised the um, issue of uh, criticism there, Andrew, while we've while we're grilling the executive producer from uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock, let's ask about critical uh, reception. Now, I know um, Foxtel needs to track that sort of stuff for their marketing. So does the your sales teams need to follow all that. How important it is to the creatives and, and people like you about the, the critical re, uh, response when something's released? And do you pay much attention? Um, look. Yeah, you have to pay attention because you don't make this in a vacuum. You make this to be consumed and you make this to have an audience and critics are often that very first audience. So it's always interesting to take on board the feedback and um, examination of it. It's, it's yeah, I, I, I think you've got to... It's interesting in this case because this is a standalone piece, so it's not like I can go back and do anything again or it's a series where I could think, oh, okay, that's interesting, I could tweak that character or what have you. It, 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 it is it, it is a self-contained piece. So I think the nervousness for me was around tackling domestically a uh, an iconic story and how was that going to be embraced or not by um, or, you know, critics in the first instance. And that was really reassuring that there was such a good response first. And then I think when we went overseas, it was also the question, would, would this would this translate or is it only going to play to an Australian audience who know the story so well and have broader context around the story? So it was really wonderful when we got that um, Hollywood Reporter review after the Berlin screening and then most recently after Tribeca we got a fantastic review in Variety as well. So it showed that what we had hoped was going to be the universal appeal of this program. Um, It did work. Mm. Yeah, so it can appeal to audiences who have no knowledge of exactly. the, the history, yep. the, the other movie. Yep. Yep, yep. That's good. That's good. Um, Andrew, so h- how did you go with the whole the whole series? I've, I've read a little bit of stuff that says, look, there was a bit of a – some people were, thought it moved around. The, the, the start was too different to what happened in the middle, and that sort of troubled them a little bit. Can, did you see that at all, or you just – you were happy um, – no, I, I'm happy with the way that it went out, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't lie if I didn't like it because you know I had a lot to say about Wake in Fright last year. I didn't like how they pulled apart the original Wake in Fright film and relayed it down in this contemporary setting. That did not work for me. This one does work, and it worked really well as six hours. And you know, Joe, you will you were the first time I saw you after you announced this thing. What was the first thing I said to you? How are you going to turn Mm. this slow moving story into six hours you know I did have concerns about it but it kept my attention for the six hours and uh, I think they've done a really great job and the the one thing that I want to say about in terms of going back to that original novel and finding things in there that you could expand on to turn it into this uh, six hour story the most brilliant thing for me is what you've done with the character of Miss McCraw Mm. uh, played 
so well by Anna McGann, who I've all, I've, I love her. I love her and everything she does. So, yeah. um, but of course, in the original movie, this and it's in the original movie there that the, the beha- bizarre behaviour of um, Vivian Gray, well known to us as Mrs. Mangle from Neighbours and Mrs. Jessup from the Sullivans, <laughs> and there she was in Picnic at Hanging Rock. What the teacher that goes missing and this bizarre thing that she does, and you've taken that tiny bit of information and the way that you have reconfigured that to give her uh, a new storyline in this version, that to me is one of the most brilliant uses of going back to the uh, the source material and, and finding something new to say about it. Oh, great. Yeah. And, that's, and I don't want to give a plot spoiler there because it's so great um, what happens. But, you know, it, it, it's all there in the original movie. You just have to think about it. It's, it's, it's actually right there in your face. Joe, um, is, the, is there still a lot of life left in this internationally or has it pretty much been stitched up or is there still opportunities to, to, for further sales? And the sales-wise, I think it's, it's sold pretty much absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's now the next phase, and this has been unique for me. I've never experienced this before with a um, television program before. I think because it is this sort of limited run, and I think it's also what's happening with where we're seeing TV as being considered like you know a six-hour movie almost in terms of its sort of cinematic ambition and scale, is that there's all the, the festivals and all the marketing that sits around that. And for us now we've had the uh, Australian launch, which was fantastic. Then in a few weeks, uh, we've got the Amazon launch in the US. And so they've got a massive campaign. In fact, there's a, uh, a, a screening going on in LA today with some of the cast are over there for that. And so it's got it's, it, the life of it's continuing as it's rolling out internationally. And uh, so that's because I think of the what I'm so thrilled and, and proud of is because it's getting such, it's being seen as a premium acquisition for territories or in, you know, for um, Amazon a, a co-commission that they're really getting behind marketing it. And so that's normally not something that you experience. It's, it's a tape sale okay. and then it just goes away and happens. Right. The, and uh, what happens if Amazon or the BBC or someone like that says, we love it, it's doing so well, we want more? <laughs> Back to the rock. <laughs> uh, you know, yes, yes. Lunch at lunch at Hanging Rock. I don't know. It's just, I, I'm, wait and see. Yeah, I guess stranger things have happened. Haven't stranger they? things have happened, but yeah. it's it's not something that we. Okay. G- I, I was sort of following on from Andrew's uh, point there. What does this mean for? I mean, I've, you probably don't want to comment on the budget and that, but I've seen you know, Holly Burns just wrote today, I think yesterday, $20 million investment. I've spoken to Brian Walsh about this and I think he said it's probably their biggest single um, drama investment mm-hmm. that he's made at Foxtel. Um, but what, what does this mean for Fremantle Media? Is this, does the success of this open up opportunities for you to think, okay, we can maybe use a similar model or do, yep. you know, give you some confidence to yep, do other absolutely. things? Absolutely. So, uh, while this was absolutely a passion project to make this, it was strategically also really important for us to to sort of show that we could make absolutely scalable international content domestically, and so that's where we're looking for um, future projects. We'll certainly do a, there'll be a mix of projects that we'll make locally, uh, but you know we've got the rights to narrow narrow road to the deep north. I always stumbled my R's. I mess up there uh, coming up and uh, so that will also be a, a big bespoke um, in 
piece of uh, television and many others besides. So, you know, we're really just focused. We're in quite a growth phase at the moment to sort of make sure that we, we're working with the very best people, um, the, the, the best and the brightest, really. It's, it's, it's an exciting phase for us. And I think it's also exciting because we've shown that it's worth investing in our content. This is internally uh, because it's it sold so extremely well. Mm-hmm. Because you've got a new CEO coming into yeah. the company as well. So that gives it a bit of a, a refresh as well, I guess, yeah? Mm. Yep, fantastic. Andrew, mate, any um, final uh, thoughts about oh, just hanging, Rob? No, just uh, if, if people have watched the first episode and they're thinking that they don't want to stick with it, I would say to them, stick with it. And particularly go with it to episode three because episode three uh, draws you in in a way that uh, even more so than eps one and two. Mm. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see a reaction of a contemporary audience to it who's never seen the film. I'll be fascinated yeah, to uh, hear what they have to say about it. My, I've, I screened to my nieces and uh, they just loved it. They loved the fashion, but they also just loved that dynamic between the young girls and they because they had no expectation on what Pitney and Hangrock actually meant, you know. So it was really interesting. So, yeah, I agree. I, I, my, our hope was always that it would find a very young audience as well as um, – you know, older audience. Now, before we let you out the um, studio door, Joe, just quickly, what else have you been working on? Andrew and I are talking in our, our separate TV podcast a little bit about the Olivia Newton-John, mm-hmm. um, um, what do you call it, a biopic um, yeah, miniseries, mini series. which yep. is uh, just about to go out. That looks pretty good from what I've seen. Yeah, so Sean Seat and Margot MacDonald have done a beautiful job of um, making that come to life. And uh, this, it's just a joyous Four hours, really. Um, Delta's great as Olivia. The music just carries you through. Yeah. It's a yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's a fun four hours. I've been lucky enough to hear her twice in the past week singing a couple of songs from the soundtrack, and it's, it's just uh, it's quite magical. That, it, it truly to is. hear her performing. I know this material. I agree. Right. I heard. Um, I was sent a link to the re-records because obviously you record them before you shoot so that she can play back to that. And um, yeah, I was just it. it her voice is so incredible. It really is. She's, um, I think she was, she was, you know, made to play this role, and yeah, she's done an incredible job. Yeah, yeah. A- anything else you can share with us? At, well, at, we're um, in production now on season seven of Wentworth, of yeah, course, and season right. six is coming out later this year. And um, yeah, we've just got a lot on our slate that I I can't wait to bring to screen. Mm, wonderful stuff. Um, look, I'm sure Andrew will join me in thanking you for uh, coming in. It's been great hearing all this detail about Picnic at Hanging Rock and it's uh, really motivated me to get my life together and watch the rem- remaining five episodes. <laughs> yes, come on, James. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, right. Joe. Thanks, Thanks, Joe. Thanks, guys. Pleasure.